Welcome to my AP Biology Thoughts podcast. My name is Sreem Razavi, and I'm your host for episode 36 called Unit 1, The Carbon Cycle. Today, we'll be discussing the carbon cycle, which is basically nature's way of recycling carbon atoms. Just in case some of you don't know, carbon is a chemical element and it's probably the most important element to life due to being able to form stable bonds with many different elements. This allows carbon to form a variety of very large, complex, and significant molecules. They form organic compounds, so if it were not for carbon, life wouldn't really exist. So I just want to get that out of the way to share why this cycle is so significant due to its displacement of carbon, this very important element. The cycle describes a process by which carbon atoms travel from the atmosphere to the earth and then back into the atmosphere and... So this process and significance will be emphasized in this podcast. So in this podcast, we'll go over what the carbon cycle is, the steps of the carbon cycle in general, uh, certain specifics of each step and each reservoir, the different types of carbon cycles, and the role of the carbon cycle and the element carbon in the bigger picture of the chemistry of life. I'll do this by discussing the importance of carbon in the cycle to the elements of life and their involvement with macromolecules. I'll end it off by presenting the impacts of humans on the carbon cycle. Before I begin, I'd like to shout out a couple of websites and different sources that made this podcast possible. So these include UCAR Center for Science Education, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, National Geographic, Atlantic Biogeochemical Fluxes, Wikipedia, Biology Dictionary, Geographical, and Sciencing. So thank you all. All right, so let's begin talking about the carbon cycle, which is what this whole podcast will be about. So let's define the carbon cycle one more time. The carbon cycle is just a way that nature reuses this important element, carbon, in different way and different places. In somewhat more definite terms, It's the process in which carbon travels from the atmosphere into organisms in the earth and then back into the atmosphere, which was already mentioned. So how does this happen? Well, carbon is in a constant state of movement from place to place, and it's stored in what we call reservoirs. And it moves between these reservoirs through a variety of processes like photosynthesis, burning fossil fuels, or respiration, and more. And this movement of carbon from these different reservoirs or, you know, different types of locations, is what makes up the carbon cycle. It's important to note that the cycle is cyclic, which may seem obvious already, meaning that if you start at one reservoir, the carbon will ultimately get back to that same reservoir, and it can often do so through multiple means. Because Earth is a closed system, meaning that matter does not leave the system due to gravity, the amount of carbon on the planet never changes, which is pretty interesting. One last thing before we get to the steps of the carbon cycle, nature tends to keep carbon levels balanced, meaning that the amount of carbon naturally released from certain reservoirs is equal or very close to being equal to the amount that is naturally absorbed and attained by those same reservoirs. And maintaining this carbon balance allows the planet to remain hospitable to life. So let's get to the steps. Now, you could basically start at any one of these steps and then get back to it through the carbon cycle. So I'm going to say them in 
an order, but you can start from any of these uh, reservoirs and get access to your reservoir. So first, carbon moves from the atmosphere to plants. It's been thought that before there was even life on Earth, carbon dioxide came from frequent volcanic activity, natural impacts. Uh, so in the atmosphere, carbon is attached to oxygen in a gas called carbon dioxide, which everyone knows as this harmful greenhouse gas, which is ruining the planet, which is something which is true now, but it's also essential for life. So it attaches to this carbon dioxide, and then for the process of photosynthesis, uh, this carbon dioxide is pulled from the air by plants to help in the process of producing food in the form of glucose, which the plants consume and can then grow. Uh, this carbon enters the pores of the leaves uh, called the stomata. All right, so then carbon moves from plants to animals through food chains. As animals eat these plants, that have this carbon that the plants obtain from the atmosphere. So now the animals have carbon within them as well. All right, so the next step, carbon moves from plants and animals to soil, to the soil. When plants and animals die, their bodies, their wood, their leaves, they all, they all decay. Decaying is just breaking down dead matter, and this helps to break down compounds and recycle materials, as we all know. So in relation to the carbon cycle, the bodies of the plants and animals decay, and the carbon released as products from this decomposition reaction go into the ground or soil. Some of this carbon is buried and will become fossil fuels in millions of years. When these fossil fuels are burned at, as human energy resources, so like powering factories, power plants, cars, whatever else, uh, this carbon is then moved to the atmosphere as carbon dioxide gas. Every year, around 5.5 billion tons of carbon is released. 5.5 billion tons. By burning fossil fuels, and around 60% of this amount stays in the atmosphere, while the remainder becomes mainly dissolved in seawater. Carbon can also get into the atmosphere by means of respirations, as each time that you or an animal exhales, you release carbon dioxide gas into the atmosphere as your body needs to get rid of it. Uh, just to elaborate on this, while producers use energy from the sunlight to make bonds with carbon atoms, animals break these bonds to release the energy that these bonds contained, turning these carbon compounds into single carbon units. So these are what are released into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide. Carbon could be released back into the atmosphere by other means, as well as such as when volcanoes erupt or fires blaze or through solid waste and other, other ways. Finally, carbon moves from the atmosphere to the ocean and other bodies of water by these bodies of water absorbing carbon from the atmosphere and this carbon then being dissolved into the water as was already mentioned. I should also mention how oceans can then release this carbon dioxide. So when carbon dioxide from, this, from the atmosphere comes into contact with ocean water, it can react with the water molecules to form carbonic acid, which is a dissolved liquid form of carbon. When there is more carbonic acid, in the ocean compared to the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, some carbonic acid may be released into the atmosphere as carbon dioxide through this kind of complicated process, which I won't get into. It can also go the other way around, but we may get into that process later. 
And so there you have it. And those are the steps of the carbon cycle. So let's move on to discussing some specific examples and transitions within the carbon cycle and elaborate, elaborating on them. Some of which I didn't even get into because they're not as well recognized, I guess. I'll also share the different types of carbon cycles that are present on Earth. So I'll first discuss information about the geosphere, which I didn't really talk about. So this geological component of the carbon cycle operates slowly compared to the other parts of the global carbon cycle. It's an important determinant of the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. Of the carbon stored in the geosphere, 80% of it is limestone and its derivatives which form from the sedimentation of calcium carbonate stored in the shells of marine organisms. The other 20% of the carbon is stored as kerogens or kerogens which are just this organic matter and sedimentary rocks. And this kerogen, sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong, is formed through the sedimentation and burial of terrestrial organisms under high heat and pressure. Carbon can then leave the geosphere in many different ways. Carbon dioxide could be released during the metamorphism of, of carbonate rocks when they're basically recycled into the Earth's mantle at convergent boundaries. The atmosphere can also be, the carbon can also be released into the atmosphere and ocean through volcanoes and hotspots. The carbon can also be removed by humans through the extraction of kerogens in the form of fossil fuels, which are burned and emit carbon into the atmosphere. Okay, so now let's elaborate a little bit on the ocean reservoir because it's just a little bit more complicated. So the ocean can be divided into a surface layer and a mixed layer. A few hundred meters below the surface. The dissolved inorganic carbon in the surface layer is exchanged rapidly with the atmosphere, but the deep ocean contains more carbon mainly due to its larger volume and the exchange of carbon between these two layers of the ocean is extremely low. Carbon enters the ocean through the solution of atmospheric carbon dioxide, a small part of which is turned into carbonate. It can also enter through rivers as dissolved organic carbon. This is converted by organisms into organic carbon through photosynthesis and can then be either exchanged throughout the aquatic food chain or end up in deeper, more carbon-rich layers of the ocean as dead soft tissue or in shells as calcium carbonate. The carbon can stay in this deep layer for a while before being deposited as sediment or returned to the surface of the water. When the aquatic organisms that contain uh, this carbon die and decompose, they also release carbon dioxide back into the water. This whole process is known as the biological carbon pump, and it's also just so important in showing how and why the ocean has a great amount of Earth's carbon and also how it stores it and stuff like that. All right, so elaborating on the terrestrial biosphere, which, which involves land and organisms that live on land, most of the carbon here is organic, but about a third is stored in inorganic forms like calcium carbonate. Since carbon uptake in the terrestrial biosphere is dependent on biotic factors mainly, it follows a diurnal and seasonal cycle. I talked about how carbon could just leave, how carbon could leave this reservoir through respiration and combustion or just being turned into fossil fuels, but it can also be exported into the oceans or rivers by erosion or into the atmosphere through soil respiration, which is just the carbon in the soil being respired by soil organisms like plants, bacteria, fungi. There isn't much to elaborate regarding the atmosphere uh, reservoir. 
already mentioned uh, what we need to know by that. So I'll just end it off by sharing some information on the fast and slow carbon cycle as well as just kind of give a little peek uh, regarding the deep carbon cycle. So these cycles both have many comp components, but I'm just going to summarize them briefly. But if you'd like to get more thorough description of these cycles, I recommend going to earthobservatory.nasa.gov and reviewing the carbon cycle section just for a more thorough review. So the fast carbon cycle is present in the biosphere and can complete within years. It moves carbon from the atmosphere to the biosphere and then back to the atmosphere. It involves short-term short biogeochemical processes between the environment and living organisms in the biosphere. It consists of the movement of carbon between the atmosphere and terrestrial and marine ecosystems, as well as between soils and seafloor sediments. It involves the annual and seasonal processes of photosynthesis, vegetative growth, and decomposition. The slow carbon cycle, on the other hand, can take millions of years to complete, and it moves carbon through the Earth's crust between rock, soil, the ocean, and the atmosphere. It includes longer biogeochemical processes that involve the rock cycle, and uh, the weathering of rocks can take millions of years to occur. The exchange that takes place between the ocean and atmosphere can also take centuries um, itself. Oftentimes, mountain building is what returns its geological carbon to the Earth's surface, which itself takes hundreds of thousands of years. And then once it reaches the surface, this carbon gets into the atmosphere and other bodies are through means I've already gone into detail with. The deep carbon cycle uh, is basically the movement of carbon through the Earth's mantle and core, and it's something that's not fully understood uh, well yet, but it's pretty important because if the process didn't occur, it's really important. Uh, if the process didn't occur, carbon would just remain in the atmosphere, which is not good for climate change and life across Earth. This deep, this deep carbon cycle enables carbon to return to the Earth, which maintains us and almost every other living organism, since living things are made up of carbon and need carbon to survive. So that's all I'm going to say about uh, the deep carbon cycle. I think it's a good transition to start talking about and relating the carbon cycle to the chemistry of life and macromolecules. I won't be talking so much about the actual cycle, but I'll be getting into humans' impact on the cycle and... Mainly, I'll be talking about the importance of carbon and its importance to life as we know it. And so it's necessary to keep in mind that the cycle is what allows us and all other organisms to attain this carbon and it's what keeps carbon and its amount balanced and in flow throughout the world. So carbon. Carbon is the most important element to all living things, even above the significance of oxygen when it comes to the chemistry of life, due to carbon's ability to form many different kinds of bonds and how it forms many essential compounds for life. It's really the building block for life and is known as such due to its ability to form complex macromolecules. So cells are made up of these complex molecules called macromolecules. These include carbohydrates, proteins, nucleic acids, and lipids, and, and they all make us up and are just so vitally important to us and all other organisms. They're the most important organic molecules to us. The backbones or components for all of these macromolecules is carbon. This is because... Carbon, the carbon atom, has properties that enable it to form covalent bonds to as many as four different atoms, making this element versatile and ideal to serve as a basic structural component of macromolecules. Proteins are made of an amino group, a carboxylic group, which includes a carbon, and a side chain. Side chain is a hydrocarbon, most likely, which are made up of carbons. And 
these three components are all connected by and bonded to a carbon atom. And so what do proteins do? Well, they allow metabolic reactions to take place. They provide a source of energy. They assist in cellular and tissue repair. They form blood cells. They catalyze reactions and more. And proteins are all possible due to that versatility of carbon. So are all the other macromolecules. One of the main components of lipids, which is another macromolecule, are those hydrocarbon fatty acids that make it up. Lipids allow for energy storage, insulation, cellular communication, protection, and more. Carbohydrates, another macromolecule, are made primarily of, car of carbon chain and aldehyde and a ketone, and these both also consist of carbon, just like the carbon chain. Carbohydrates are really how humans attain their energy and fuel that they need to function physically and mentally. Eucleic acids, our last macromolecule, which of course also consists of carbon in its sugar phosphate groups that make uh, nucleosides up. Nucleic acids function to hold the instructions needed for an organism to develop, survive, and reproduce, and also for protein synthesis. I hope you now understand through these descriptions of the macromolecules the importance of carbon a little bit better now, but that's not even all. Carbon is what makes up the gas, carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide, besides allowing photosynthesis to be possible in the first place and thereby ensuring that all heterotrophs and autotrophs don't die, and besides being a major part of cellular respiration, carbon dioxide is the most important and most common greenhouse gas due to its abundance. Carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases in general keep our planet livable by holding out some of the Earth's heat energy so that it doesn't all escape into space. This enables heat to be retained in the atmosphere, and if it weren't for them, the earth will be covered in ice. All right, so this is a good point to start discussing the effects of humans on the carbon cycle. Because whenever we hear the word greenhouse gases, we think, you know, bad, dangerous, or global warming. So let's discuss that aspect now, and this will be the last thing I talk about today. The carbon cycle normally, normally, works to ensure the stability of variables such as the earth's atmosphere, the acidity of oceans, and the availability of carbon for use by living things. Human activities have, however, had a huge impact on the cycle. Humans, by burning fossil fuels, deforestation, geological and carbon sequestration, and by using limestone to make concrete, have caused a drastic increase in the rise of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. I stated how carbon dioxide is important for being greenhouse gas and absorbing the Earth's heat energy. So now, this, this, this has just exceeded the threshold by way, way too much. With more and more carbon in the air, in the atmosphere, more heat energy is being absorbed and global temperatures are rising and rising and weather is changing all over and becoming more extreme. And there's, there's just evidence all over for this. It's also resulting in ocean acidification. Ocean acidification has several consequences, including reducing the amount of carbonate that coral and plankton need and by just killing off a lot of aquatic life not suited for lower pHs. These all in turn affect the carbon cycle greatly. There is no real stability anymore, and you know the increased amount of carbon that we put into the atmosphere is just balance of the balance of the cycle. We can also we can, we can just go through some steps of the cycle and see its effects. So, so okay, so now there is a lot of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which is already changing and affecting the weather, which affects ecological aspects of life negatively. Okay, so this carbon dioxide is taken in by plants in the ocean and its animals. We already know this leads to ocean acidification in, in oceans. 
increased carbon dioxide in plants can actually lead to plants attaining too much carbon dioxide, which is beginning to happen, and this results in plants thickening their leaves and photosynthesizing less. This carbon reaches the ocean through different means, which causes negative impacts, but uh, humans and other organisms also eat these plants with excessive amounts of carbon, and these organisms also inhale it from the atmosphere. Also, if plants photosynthesize less, that means, you know, there will be less of them, which would impact the food web and ecosystem in very negative ways. So anyway, so this is not really common, the fact that you eat plants with excessive amounts of carbon dioxide, too much carbon dioxide within you can kill animals uh, and humans. So it can decrease the amount of oxygen reaching the body. And this could be possible at some point due to obviously increased carbon dioxide in our air currently. So, sorry to end on such a depressing note, but it's just good to be aware of all of this so that maybe we can one day grow up wanting to fix these types of issues and then find a solution because we definitely need one. All right. Okay. That's it. That was very long. <laughs> but thank you for listening to this episode of my AP Party Thoughts uh, podcast. Uh, for more such student-run podcasts, make sure to visit www.hvspn.com. That's www.hvspn.com. All right, everyone, take care. And always remember, learning new things doesn't have to be challenging. It's really easy once you have a goal in mind and a purpose for everything you do. See you later. Bye.